0: all of the chapter. Warning against adultery. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth, and you toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will see how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated by Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Thank you.
1: Thanks Betty. It's always hard to get up and speak after Betty because she's got such a great accent. Uh, We're in the middle of a series on uh, Proverbs and uh, as you see from uh, what we've done in the past, we look at wise living. Uh, The last two weeks, this week we're looking at wise sex, next week wise parenting, uh, wise friends, wise work, wise money, wise life. So uh, it's a great book, the book of Proverbs. Uh, It touches on a whole lot of areas in our lives and it's a very practical book. Uh, It's a great book because it gets down to earth and it touches uh, where we're at. So I think it's a great book for us to be looking at. Uh, So if you've got someone who you think might like to hear one of those topics in the near future, then uh, grab them and bring them along. It'd be great to have them here, so that'd be good. As we come to look at this together, uh, let's ask God for wisdom as we uh, contemplate this passage. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning and we thank you and praise you that you are a God who has not left us to ourselves, but you have given us your word. We thank you, Lord, for the word that we have before us this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we look at Proverbs 5 together, that, Lord, we will be, uh, have open hearts and open minds, uh, that our ears will listen and our lives will be changed and transformed by your word, by your spirit, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look at the world that we live in today, there's probably a number of words that you could use to summarise the Western world, maybe over, maybe over the last 30 years. Uh, you might use a word like wars. There's been wars everywhere, hasn't there? Genocide. Uh, sometimes we forget that, but some of the worst genocides in the history of known man have happened in the last 30 years. Uh, you might think of materialism. You might think of uh, post-modernism. You may think of amazing... Uh, Examples and amazing works of doctors being able to find so many cures that we have these days. But I think there's one thing that no one can deny about the world that we live in today and that is that we are in a world that is obsessed by sex. Sex or sexuality is everywhere. You can't walk out of here today and go down the street without walking past a newspaper stall or a newsagent and it's in your face. You can't get away from it. It's it's used to sell just about every product you can possibly imagine. that has got nothing to do with it, but yet they use it to sell it. The other day I was sitting down watching television, and on came a program, uh, it was an ad, an advertisement for Fisherman Friends. You know those Fisherman Friends, you stick in your mouth? Well, this bloke gets out of a truck, another guy comes across, asks him if he can borrow a Fisherman's Friend. The guy puts it out, the guy puts his finger in, sticks it in his mouth, and as he sticks it in his mouth, suddenly there's a vision of this gorgeous-looking woman with this really tight red suit on that left nothing to the imagination. She walks up and then smacks him across the face with a fish and then says something like, Fisherman's friends really pack a punch. What's that got to do with it? Or oh, you get cup of soup, two-minute cup of soup. Have you seen that ad? Let me elaborate on that one. There's a two-minute cup of soup ad and you think, "What they're doing there!" You can't get away from it, can you? It's out there. It's everywhere. It's in front of us. The songs we listen to on the radio. If you listen to a radio, 100.9 FM, or whatever it is, you listen to that radio, and I'll guarantee you that you'll find it really hard to find one song that doesn't have sex in it or an innuendo of sex within it. You'll battle to find one that doesn't have that there. What about this lyric? This was of a song not that long ago. It was this. You and me, baby, are just like animals. I want to do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. You cannot get away from it. Pick up your latest Big W magazine. And if you picked up that 30 years ago, you would have had got it from the very back corner of a section of the newsagent covered in plastic or a brown paper bag. There is at least four to five pages there with girls or guys wearing underwear. It's there. We are a sex-obsessed society. It's almost to the point that sex is portrayed as the ultimate activity that anyone can ever partake in. It's the be-all and the end-all. And if you're not getting it, you're missing out. That's the way it's portrayed, isn't it? That's the way it is. It seemed like the goal of human activity, the goal of human life is to have as much sex as you can before you die. Well, what is the proper place of sex? That's what the world says. That's the way it puts it out there. What is the proper place for it? Well, I reckon the best bloke to speak to about sex is the guy who created it in the first place, God. It's interesting that often the church is actually blamed for the problem with sex to be the, given it a bad name and that uh, the whole sexual revolution that happened around the mid-60s and right through today had to happen because the church had confined sex to such a small area and almost made it out to be a sin if you had sex. Even if you were watching or you've read the uh, God Delusion by Richard Dawkins recently or you watched the television program that he had on the ABC recently. Throughout that, when he was blaming anything upon Christianity, he was blaming Christianity the fact of sex being a sin demonising sex well let me let you into a little secret okay let me let you into this one it was God who created sex he's the one who designed it could you imagine Adam and Eve after first discovering sex waking up the next morning saying wow that was good let's not tell God about it keep that secret No, God knew about it, he planned it, he said it right from the beginning. When God created man and woman, he said that they are to come together and become one. That is both physically, spiritually and emotionally one. You see, the original sin was not sex. When Adam and Eve took the apple, the apple is not some sort of convoluted way of saying that they had sex. It's got nothing to do with that. When Adam and Eve took the apple... ...in the garden is because they decided that they knew better than God. And God doesn't know what's going on, so we're going to eat it. They disobeyed God. Nothing to do with sex at all. Though if we go and do it opposite to what God it, it's doing the same thing. You see, God created sex. He made it for a reason, for a purpose, and in a right context. It's good and it's great... God said at the end of every day when he made everything, after he created everything, he said it was good. He didn't say it was good, but sex over there is bad. He said it's all good. It's all good. Sex was God's idea first. So if it was his idea first, I reckon we should hear what he has to say about it. Because God knows how good it is, but he also knows the dangers and the traps and the pitfalls. God's not afraid of sex, and he doesn't shirk the issue of sex. It's throughout the whole Bible. If you read through the Bible, you'll find it coming up in a number of different places. And I reckon that this chapter 5 that we've just read is probably got to be the best chapter for us for guidelines of how it should be. God's proper perspective on sex in the right context. Now this uh, passage won't answer every question we have, it will only touch on certain parts of it, but it will give us good guidelines for how we can understand what wise sex is. Well, if you've got your Bibles, open them up, because let's look at it together. Uh, it won't go up on the screen, because we've got the outline going up on the screen. And you'll see that in the very first part of uh, Proverbs chapter 5, in verse 1, it's like, here's a warning sign. God set up this big screen, and around it's these lights and it's going, warning, 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 warning. Because he says there, he's talking like a parent to a child. Notice he says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. It's like he's grabbed his son by the throat. He's pulled him in the side and he says, look at me, look at me. I'm about to tell you something really important. So listen, it's important stuff. Don't miss it. Don't miss it, my son. This is important for you. What don't you miss? Look at verse 3. The lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of the life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. The big flashing sign is saying this. Sex in the wrong context is both seductive and destructive. Here the parent is talking to the child, and it could be a mother to a daughter, a mother to a son, a father to a son. It's like a father like a parent to a child. And they're saying to them that sex outside of God's context is seductive and dangerous. Don't get caught by it. Now, they're talking about adultery here, but it could be just as much premarital sex. It's any type of context outside of the marriage that the the guy's talking about here. It's any one of those. It's not just adultery, but it's anyone outside of God's context for marriage, for sex, sorry, which is marriage. And God knows it's alluring. He knows it's tempting. For both males and females, this is not a gender-specific problem. It's not just for the blokes. It's not just for the girls. It's for all of us. Sex outside of marriage is like a bright, alluring, flashing thing, like a fishing lure. It's a bit like that, isn't it? It's enticing, it's attractive, it looks like the real thing, it promises satisfaction, it's so attractive to the hungry stomach, to the hungry life looking to be fulfilled, to the empty stomach, to the empty feeling inside. But when you take it, when the fish grabs, the barbs stick and the flesh rips. And ultimately, it leads to a frying pan. It looks like honey, but tastes like gall. It looks smooth as silk, enticing, but really it cuts like a sword. Sex outside of marriage leads to painful. leads it to pain for you, pain to others, pain to their future husband or wife, or to your current spouse, or to your kids, or to your friends. And it happens to Christians. We're not immune to it. The number of pastors in the last five to six years that I've heard of their marriages being destroyed by one or the other taking off with someone else is startling. Startling. Let me tell you about one bloke who in the last 12 months had it happen to him. And I'm telling you, it wasn't him, but it was his wife. You see, the husband was out ministering to people all week. He was busy. His church was flourishing. It was growing. It was really strong. Things were really happening. Uh, During that time, there was growth groups happening all over the place. He was out a number of nights during the week. Uh, He was out there looking after people, helping people who were struggling through different things that were going on. Uh, Night after night, he was out. Uh, His wife was at home looking after the children. And she starts to think that her husband actually had more time for their congregation and the people's problems than hers. At the same time, he ended up having to look after another congregation where he had to travel over 100 Ks once or twice, well, sort of once or twice a month to go out there. And then if he was called out there, he had to go out there even further to spend time out there with this other congregation that he had to look after as well. And the wife had to stay home, look after the kids, care for things, make sure everything was going right, and continually feeling like her husband loved the congregation rather than loving her then along comes a bloke that she met at church uh, he was also struggling in his relationship with his wife uh, they start talking one day after church over a cup but then they decide to catch up for a coffee one day down the street uh, this progresses they both feel that the other person knows what they're going through they feel like they're experiencing the same sort of thing and then before you know it they're having an affair Their marriage was in tatters, their ministry was ruined, their family was uh, was in upheaval and their church was devastating. Sex outside of marriage is tempting and alluring but the barbs rip the flesh because it will cost, it will cost. Look at verse 9. Lest you give your best strength to others... It will cost you strength. There is no way that you can keep up an affair without ruining yourself, without zapping your strength. It takes you out mentally as you're trying to cover your tracks. It takes you out physically as you try to keep all of them happy. Uh, Spiritually, as you're wrestling with your conscience, with God. It takes your strength. Look at verse 10. Lest strangers feast on your wealth. It will cost you financially. You can't keep two women or two blokes happy. You've got to be able to... Your family divided, your assets. And if it goes down the track, it divides up everything that you have. Look at verse 11. And in the end of your life, you'll groan when your flesh and your body are spent. It will cost you in regrets. You think, what should I have done? How could I have avoided it? And look at verse 14. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole of sin of the assembly it will cost you in humiliation as you face your family your friends your church family your community it's not a pretty sight is it now I want to say at this very point if you have ever fallen to that temptation to the sin of having sex outside of marriage before but during then there is forgiveness forgiveness You see, the wonderful thing about Christianity, that it doesn't back away from saying stuff is wrong. It doesn't back away from saying, well, this is a sinful action, guys. You should not do it. But at the same time, it says, God is a loving, merciful God who offers you forgiveness. You can be wiped clean. You can be set free. You see, Jesus' love reaches out to all of us Because none of us are immune to sin. And none of us can stand here and throw rocks at anyone who we might have around who we think has done this. Because when we all look at our heart of hearts, we've all fallen here at some point in time. We may not have all acted out our sinful thoughts, but none of us are innocent. None of us are innocent. So for all of us, we need to know that we have forgiveness. And forgiveness can be ours. Let me, let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. It says this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But... You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. We want to praise God for that, don't we? We have been made clean, we have been washed, all that we have been done wrong has been taken away from us. Notice that that doesn't just include sexual sin, that means every sin that we've done can be taken by Jesus. Jesus. Jesus can make our slate clean and clear it all so that we can now be pure before God. He washes you clean. He gives you a new spirit, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-control, a spirit that allows us to not fall to our temptation again. You see, he will change you. He will transform you. Jesus will make you new. All we need to come to him is in repentance, remorse, admitting to what we have done, seeking his forgiveness, falling before him on the cross and saying, thank you. Thank you for taking that for me. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say he takes away the consequences of our actions. We've still got to deal with that. But he gives us the strength to make right decisions through it. Two Timothy chapter one verse seven is a great verse for us, isn't it? To know that we can stand with the Spirit within us to avoid temptation and to work through the stuff that we've done wrong. Forgiveness and a new life is available to all of us. So that is the consequences of going outside of God's context for sex. That's a warning. But what is the right context? Where should it be? What should it be like? How should we go about living our lives this way? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to set up a defence system. Look at verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. We need to set up defence systems. We can't just say this won't happen to me. We need to put stuff in place so that it doesn't have a chance of getting to us. And the first one we need to do is stick to the truth. God is the creator and author of life. He knows how sex should operate. He knows what's best for us. So we should listen to him and obey him. Find out what God thinks on the subject. Read his word and trust him. That he does know what's best for you. Now that's a biggie, isn't it? See, that was a biggie that got Adam and Eve. Can they trust God? Does he really know what's best for us? Oh, the apple looks good. It's shiny, lovely to eat. But does God know what's best for us? And they took it. They didn't trust. And it's the same for us, isn't it? We've got to trust that God knows what's best for us. Oh, it looks alluring. Oh, the emotion, the feeling, oh, I can—the oh, passion—it's there. Does God really know what's best for me? He does. He does. He wants what's best for you, and we need to trust Him in that. Secondly, we must flee. Don't go near the door. He says, "Run away! Don't go near it. Don't go anywhere near it. Don't put yourself in that place." Don't stay late and talk to your co-worker all night. Don't go out for coffee with a bloke who seems to be loving and caring and an emotional sort of fellow who's got more emotion than your husband rolled into one. Don't go out with him. Choose your TV watching carefully, especially when you're alone in a hotel room with pay TV. It's very true. They are, I heard a, a statistic, and I can't remember what, exactly what it was, but it was a, at a, um, a big Christian conference at this place in America and there was hundreds of rooms booked out for this place and you know what the most watched television programs in that hotel on that night was? The pornographic channels. I so sit there and think, really? It's out there. It's all around us. It's very tempting. Watch what you watch. Spend time with people who will point you to trust in Jesus, to trust in God. Put a filter on your computer. Don't go to those chat rooms. Be very careful with your MySpace and who you allow to go on and who you respond back to. And you know what the most dangerous thing to do is? The most dangerous thing that anyone can do is to do this, is to say, it won't happen to me. That is the most dangerous thing you can do. Of a number of people I've spoken to who've got themselves caught in adultery or some sort of sexual immorality, they didn't walk out the door that morning and say, I'm about to go and commit adultery. They didn't think it could happen to them. You see, it doesn't just happen. It's a step-by-step process. One step, start talking to the person. Next step, you have a coffee. Next step, and then as you take all those little steps, that last final step doesn't feel so big, does it? You've got to guard your hearts and your minds, people. Make deliberate decisions to protect your marriage. To protect your future marriage, make decisions now. Put up barriers. Guard your hearts. Make sure you're there and ready and prepared because it's going to come at every one of you at some point in time. The next thing that we should do is indulge in wise sex. That's what we should do, indulge in wise sex. And what's that? Look at there down in verse 15 through to 17. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own world. Well. Should your springs overflow on the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Uh, This is a wonderful part of the Bible, even if we don't understand it when we first read it. Uh, Because the imagery is quite amazing. Even though at first glance you think, well, a cistern? Drinking out of your own cistern? Out of your toilet? Is that what he's talking about here? No, when he talks about a cistern, he's talking about a well that's in the garden where fresh water is. He's saying, go to that, where you go to that fresh water, where you take that drink, where it's refreshing, where it invigorates, where it's some place where you're able to refresh your life, strengthens your body. That's what they're talking about, the world. And they're talking about that world is your own husband or wife. Don't go to anyone else's. Just your own. Sex within marriage is a vital component to refreshing the marriage, to strengthening the marriage. Some have said that it's one part of the glue that keeps it together. So have sex, and as much as you like, but only with your spouse. Only with your spouse. I think I read a book from John Dixon called um, uh, Sneaking Suspicion, and in that he talks about uh, when he was at a pub one day after playing at a gig, he was in a band called uh, Silent Lambs or something called like that, In the silence, that's right. Thanks, Gordon. In the silence, he was at a pub. Uh, He sat down afterwards with a couple of his bandmates and they sat down having a beer. One of the barmaids came over to serve them and they started getting into a conversation with her. Started talking about uh, life and what it's like to be a Christian. And uh, this girl said to him, said, well, you're Christians, so you don't believe in sex, do you? (laughs) Well, he turned to her and he said, well, I believe in sex. I believe in sex. Actually, I believe in having great sex, as much sex as I can with one woman for the rest of my life. That's the way it's supposed to be, with one person. Great sex with your spouse and your spouse only. And this is not to be just a duty, but it's to be passionate. Look at verse 18 to 20. It doesn't get more, more passionate than this. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Never let anyone say to you that the Bible is about a prudish book, is it? If you want to read Song of Solomons, actually Mike's going to sing us a song in a minute from Song of Solomons. It's a book that's all about a passionate love affair between two people who can't keep their hands and their eyes off each other. Great sex with your spouse only. That's what it's about passionate loving enjoying embracing loving being captivated by your spouse now that's not easy at times is it because they drive you bonkers don't they they do there are moments when you think how can i put up with this any longer you think no they couldn't do that and they do there's lots of things you can all look at your husband's wife now and think yep i know that one thing don't i That is that one thing that drives me crazy. I don't believe you do that. I didn't know that before we were married. They drive you crazy. And there are times when you think, I can't put up with this too much longer. But that's where you've got to come back to, well, what does the Bible say? We need to work at that marriage. We need to be passionate within that marriage. We need to be captivated by our spouse. Because all sorts of things can work in between that, can't they? Work. Work. We can get so caught up with our work that our lives become separated. I was just talking to a person the other day that just broke my heart. A couple have been married for 30-odd years and they have just drifted apart. They work together, but they're about to get separated. And it just cut me to the core. And uh, you can just see it. They were working so hard, they had no time for themselves. They might have been in the same shop but they weren't actually together. Sport. Sport can drive a wedge in a thing. Your own family, extended family can drive in. Your kids, sorry kids who are here, but kids can drive a wedge between a husband and a wife. But I think we've got to stop giving excuses as well, don't we? Stop giving excuses and start being proactive. How can we do that? Well, you can turn up to the marriage course. Well, you can't now because it's full. But the next one, come along to it, okay? And it doesn't matter how old you are, this marriage course is great for you. It's not just for the young guys, it's for everyone. No matter how long you've been married for, because I reckon the longer you've been married, the more chance you have of actually living in the same room but not being married. Being in the same house but not communicating with each other. Now, let me give you a couple of things I think will be helpful. You need to set aside marriage time each week for just the two of you. Marriage time. At least two hours, the marriage course tells you, at least two hours. Everything else is gone. Kids, no. You do something with them. I don't know what you do with them. Lock them in a cupboard. No. You put them somewhere. (laughs) Scrap that from from the tape. You put them somewhere. You get someone to look after them. You say, guys, sorry, mum and dad have got to have marriage time. And you go off and do something fun together. Together. Have weekends away without your children. Have second honeymoon, third honeymoon, hundredth honeymoon. You need to get away with your spouse. You know, the best thing that you can do for your children is to have a loving, passionate marriage. That is the best thing you can do for them. Spending time in prayer and reading the Bible together. Now, that's where I am hopeless. You think, well, he's the pastor. He should be reading the Bible with his wife all the time, shouldn't he? Well, he's not. He's hopeless. He needs to get a kick up the butt. It, okay, so you need to ask me next week to have how many times did you read the Bible and pray with your wife this week? I've just said that, so make sure you do. <laughs> Alright? Ask me, because I'm gonna ask you. Okay, I'm gonna ask you. How long and how many times have you spent reading the Bible and praying with your spouse? Now, this is one thing that I found revolutionary in the marriage course. It said this stop thinking of your needs and their faults. Start thinking of their needs and fixing your faults. That is a great thing, isn't it? Stop thinking of your needs and their faults. Start thinking of their needs and fixing yours. That's revolutionised my thinking already. Make your marriage a priority. Make time for it. They're good things to remember, aren't they? And the last thing we need to remember is that God is watching you all the time. Look at verse 21. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. You may think no one will know. You may be able to hide and cover your tracks the best that anyone has. But God still knows. We cannot hide from him. We need to cultivate a healthy fear of God and that will help us to make the most of our marriages. Someone once said, you are who you are. Sorry, you are, I'll try it again. You are who you are alone is who you are with God. Who you are alone is who you are with God now we sit here this morning here we sing our songs we read our bibles we get up and wash our faces and put on clean clothes and we look pretty good don't we we look pretty flash here this morning we're good christians sitting here who you are alone is who you are with god that's what ultimately counts guys is your relationship with him now we haven't been able to cover every aspect have we Uh, We haven't been able to set out the foundations of everything there. We haven't dealt with, there's so much you could deal on this issue. But I think what we have done is we've set the foundations for wise sex. Wise sex is how God designed it. With one partner, your spouse for the whole of your life. It's to be passionate, enjoyed and to be cultivated with that person. It needs to have God as its foundation. It needs to have Jesus as its cornerstone. And if we take this on, if you and I here this morning take this on and make that our priority in our lives, then maybe, maybe we could be the first step in making a completely new revolution and revolutionise the whole world in regards to their attitude to sex and say to this world around us that sex was God's idea in the first place. And why sex is the sex that he wants you to have, not what you think you need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we've touched on a topic, Lord, that uh, cuts right to the heart of all of us because we live in a world that just flashes us before our eyes every moment of the day. We cannot live in this world without uh, being inundated with images, uh, without being having words and voices coming round in our head that keep tempting us to not trust you, Lord, that keep tempting us to tell us that you don't know the best for us in regards to sex, that the world's got it all, that you've got to have it their way. Lord, we pray this morning as we've read your word as we've contemplated what you've said to us as we've thought about you and the fact that you created sex in the beginning that you are the Lord of all and that Lord you have made all things and that you want only what's best for each of us Lord and in that you've put a context for sex a context that is best for all of us in a loving relationship with a husband or wife Lord that is the context that you've made it for Lord we pray that you'll help us not to be tempted not to act upon that temptation to not trust that and go outside of your word Lord we thank you that you've given us your spirit it's not a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline and Lord we call upon your spirit to work within us today and for the rest of our lives to live the way that you want us to live because that is the best way we can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.